You remember concerts? Do you remember when we used to go to concerts? No, you know. <laughs> you know. I went to one concert. I went to a concert in November, uh, end of maybe it was December. Who'd you see? Uh, I saw the Weather Station. Oh, that must have been a great show. A really good show. Um, the Danforth Music Hall was was fantastic. But you know, like I was nervous the whole time, yeah. looking around, looking at people with their masks off. You know? Yeah. Um, I I said as much on Twitter today. Uh, back in April, I was optimistic enough to buy a ticket for a concert in September so five months out I thought the world is going to be good enough in five months that I can buy myself a concert I am seeing ads coming up now for shows in July still five months out six actually and I'm looking at that saying no there's no way there's no way we're going to be in good enough shape welcome to wherever you are my name is Ryan McNeil Toronto Canada you are listening to episode 276 of the matinee cast it's a movie loving podcast on my movie loving website thematinee.ca your home for cinematic passion and perspective dear listener 10 years ago this month i was sitting in the carlton cinema here in toronto and uh, somebody who is near and dear to me got up in front of a very very packed little screening room and said welcome to shorts not pants and it was his presentation of a cinematic mixtape of stories that were weird and stories that were beautiful and stories that were funny and just jammed all into like nine or ten of them jammed all into 100 minutes and it is bonkers for me to think that that was 10 whole years ago and the time has flown um that uh, a lot of things that that festival uh is still going and still going strong um that i am still good friends with this with this person all of it continues as we uh, get into this time where so much just seems to not continue. And um, it's it's amazing to think that it's been 10 years of um, of this production, more than 10 years of friendship with my guest today. Um, but it's it was a it was a wonderful reminder that I saw today that it was been 10 years a uh, date of this recording since the beginning of Shorts Not Pants. I'm really, really happy to be starting 2022 with today's guest. He is the proprietor, the grand poobah, the brains behind the operation of Shorts Not Pants. Uh, please welcome Jay McNally to the show. How are you, man? Hey, I'm great. Thank you for remembering that. Um, I didn't know when we arranged this that it was going to be on the exact day, but it is. It's um, amazing to me. The funny thing is, I remember going to the very first one that was in like your living room. You know, where yeah. you just you gathered a bunch of us. You're like, we're going to do this, and everybody's like, okay, we're going to do this. And you know, that that's I kind of love that being part of that part of that beta test or part of that uh, you know secret little supper club of short films that got turned into the the real deal. I have to correct you a little bit, though. It was the first couple were actually at the NFB, the National Film Board um, Media Tech, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. was uh, it was right across the street from where the, I guess the, the Scotia Bank. Right, theater. I do remember. Right, you're right. Because yeah. you moved to the, yeah, you moved to the Carlton, and that's why I've got that yeah. one in the brain. That was your home for yeah. the longest time. But that's right, well, it was at yeah, it, was it, it at closed NFB. down after like our first two screenings. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, I'm not sure it was our fault, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to blame? On episode 276, we will be discussing Come On, Come On. We'll be turning the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about James. This is Know Your Enemy. Know 
So despite our 10 year friendship, James is only a three time guest and that is entirely on me. James' first appearance was on episode 46. We talked about Clint Eastwood's J. Edgar. We learned the first movie he'd ever seen in a theater was 2001 A Space Odyssey. The last film he'd seen at the time was the documentary Waiting for Superman. The worst film he'd ever seen is something called All Little Animals. The unseen classic or essential was Raging Bull, and the film he wished he'd made was Rushmore. Then on round two, episode 212, we talked about the favorite. We learned the film he digs that nobody else likes is Ishtar, and I like it. The film that everybody else likes that he doesn't is the whole comic book scene. The last film to make him cry was a short called Souls of Totality. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Neil Patrick Harris, and the film he was watching next was Roma. So, James, it is time for round three. Interpret this question however you wish. But what was the film that made your love of cinema turn a corner? I thought about this, and I don't know how much of an age difference there is between us, but um, I really discovered cinema probably in the early 90s. There was a group of cinemas called the Festival Group. Uh, all the cinemas those. in Toronto, like the Bloor, the Review, yeah. the you know, Box, all of those, Paradise, they were all part of a, a sort of a group. And uh, they showed all kinds of great stuff. Um, and I guess some some of those cinemas are still um, actually most of them are still going. Yeah. But, um, but I saw um, I saw a film by Peter Greenaway called The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Oh. Have you ever seen yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it kind of blew my mind. I was sort of um, I mean, you're going to ask me another question later that I'm going to I'm going to use the same example. But I think I can just, guess. Um, yeah, just, this is a film where um, I walked out of the theater. I got onto the subway. I was sitting across from a woman that I recognized uh, from the screening. And I think both of us were just kind of slack jawed. You know, we I don't think we could even say anything to each other. We were both just kind of like, you know. I think I need to go home and think about this and maybe have a shower. You know, it was that kind of a, of a film, but I was kind of amazed. Like I didn't have to know what everything meant. You know, I didn't have to figure out like every part of the story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that was really sort of freeing, you know, just to sort of enjoy, like someone's doing something here and I don't completely understand it, but but how amazing is that, you know? I think what you describe is kind of like we're both people who love music. And when you get to a point in your musical appreciation where you find that you discover music that's a little bit more challenging, whether it's classical or whether it's jazz or whether it's um, acid or, or something that's not linear in the way that pop music is linear and there's nothing wrong with pop music, but you just discover that there's another version of this art form that you don't necessarily need to get and people can't see, but I'm putting air quotes around yet. <laughs> and yeah, when you, when you talk about a film, like the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover um, it's, I mean, it's, it's not like it's a, it's not a complicated movie. It's not like 2001. It's certainly not like something like uncle Boon me who can remember his past lives. It's, it's a fairly, straightforward story but it's just so wild like so unexpected in a lot of ways when yeah when you go into it you don't really think that you're going to be getting that so i guess what you're saying is when you got that you're like oh cinema can do that yeah and there's just parts of that film where he just kind of stops telling the story (laughs) and just like moves the camera around and lets you look at all the incredible set design Mm -hmm. and and you know he, he just draws attention to the fact that like i've made something really 
cool, you know, and you're, you know, just want you to appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's something a great that, answer. It's yeah. been, it's been far too long since I've seen that movie. So I think I'm going to need to revisit it. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, James, what was your first date movie? When right. I was maybe 13 or so, we would go on these sort of group dates, you know, we yeah, were yeah. not, a, and, um, and so the girls would choose the movies and we would just go along because we wanted to be with the girls. And, uh, and for me, there were two movies. It was probably the same summer, but the two movies we saw more than once were Grease and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And it's a terrible, terrible movie with the Bee Gees um, doing Beatles songs and, and trying to make it make sense. It was terrible. <laughs> Grease was good. And you saw them both a few times. I mean, yeah. it's, I think you are the first one to bring up that kind of outing. A lot of the people who I've talked to on this show have brought up their first date with their current partner. Like, you know, so like Kurt brought up his first date with Laura Jane, Bob brought up his first date with a Um I, I remember a few of them where it was the first date with like somebody specific, but nobody has brought up that kind of thing where it was like the bunch of us went. And I remember I did that kind of same sort of thing. It, it's it's weird because on the one hand, it's it's kind of in this little gray area between platonic and romantic. You know, this is the kind of date where you can enjoy the movie, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you're not you're not so worried about impressing your date. You're just like, oh, we're just here with a bunch of girls, which is fun. You know? Yeah. Um, I did have a real date. So I took this to mean like your first date movie, meaning like who was your first date and what movie you went to. You yeah, know? yeah. So I went back very, very far. But I guess my first real date movie that I can remember was um, the Terry Fox story. I don't know if you ever saw this, but this is like from 1983. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's not it's not great, but it was like very timely. It was right around, you know, the time after Terry Fox had died right. and everybody was – you know, they, they rushed this movie out, I'm sure. I, I don't think it would be very good. But um, that, that must have made for a wonderful date. Well, I'm thinking, like, what a terrible idea, right? I mean, this is a movie about somebody who dies. And, it, like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. The sad part is that the girl I went on the date with died, like, a, a year later. Oh, so, no! Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, th- thank you for the craziest set of answers to that question ever. Um, but okay. That's a, that's a, that's an answer. Good work, buddy. Um, James, what is your sick day movie? Um, I haven't had a sick day for a, such a long time. I mean, part of Shali because right now I don't get a sick day. I uh, haven't been sick, but um, I guess the movie that I would turn to, I guess, if I was feeling sick would be something from the Coen brothers. Um, Probably the Big Lebowski or Raising Arizona. They're the two that I know the best. Uh, it's, it's like comfort food. I guess that's what I thought of. Any reason them in particular? I think I know the dialogue from them both very well. And mm. maybe that's something that when you're not feeling well, you, you feel like, oh, if I doze off, I'm not going to really miss anything. I'm going to remember, like, I'll pick it up right away, you know. I'm very familiar with those films. It's it's somebody telling you a story, right? It's it's the opposite yeah. of something like 2001, which is all just so visual, which if you want to, like you say, you want to drift in and out, it's you're only listening to music and soundtrack versus if you're listening to people talk, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like having the radio on, right? Well, the first time I saw Raising Arizona was through the the, the, the fuzzy lines of, of pay TV. I don't know if you remember, like if you didn't have... Hey, TV, you could hear the audio, but you right. couldn't see the video. And I remember <laughs> just flipping around and, and hearing, it was really, it was right at the beginning, like just hearing the the voiceover from uh, Nicolas Cage and just being 
sort of hooked. So I knew that movie like as like a radio play, you know, before I ever saw it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you can't really go wrong with any of their movies. Even their flops, I think they still have some merit to them. Like I could, you know, there 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 are parts of things like intolerable cruelty and burn after reading that still make me laugh. So I could, mm-hmm. I could see, you know, having them on in the background if I'm having a sick day. So good answer. I like it. Oh, loud. Um, I think you kind of tipped your hand on this answer earlier on, but what was the last film to leave you speechless? I don't know. It was the last one, but, but just I, a film. I, to leave, the one yeah. I thought was, yeah, the, the Greenaway film. I, almost any of his films would leave you speechless. They're just, they're kind of audacious, you know, they're shocking. What else uh, has he done? Um, let's see. He did a film called a Z and two knots. He did one called the belly of an architect. He's gone out of fashion a little bit, like, but for a while in the nineties, he was, he was making tons of films. Um, uh, I wish I could remember. Oh, drowning by numbers is another Hmm. one that's really worthwhile. Um, he just does some really strange stuff. I got to imagine with the, the, the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover, a lot of the speechlessness probably came towards the end of that movie where things really get crazy. (laughs) It kind of goes off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's, on, you know, it's funny because on the one hand, I would love to tell listeners what we're talking about because I kind of feel like that film has gotten a little bit lost to time. Like, like you were saying, he's kind of gone a little bit out of fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's trippy the way that happens, yeah. the way that somebody could be like uh, uh, an award nominee and, and a brand for five or 10 years. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're, they're not, you know, they're not a brand anymore. Michael Gambon's in that movie, isn't he? That yeah. he's, he's the, he's the thief and he's his, thief. and his wife is uh, Helen Mirren and Helen everything Mirren. that Helen Mirren is in. Is just, yeah. You know, and it's the first film uh, I ever saw Tim Roth in. I don't know if you know Tim Roth, oh, yeah. he's just a, just a really interesting looking actor. And I don't think he was very old. I think it might've been one of his first roles. And uh, just gritty and kind of fun to watch. It's handsome. It's really handsome in that um, in that Miller's Crossing kind of way. Yeah, you know, in that modern look at an old school uh, setting. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I want to tell people why it's so speech speechless inducing or why it, it just defies yeah. <laughs> explanation. But at the same time, if anybody's curious about this movie, I do suggest it. Just go. You'll 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 know what you'll know what you're looking for when you get there. I hope that doesn't come back to bite you. <laughs> Never does. Okay. Um last but not least for now, what is a movie quote that would be your epitaph? Um I love just I love quoting films. I uh I, I wasn't thinking of anything that was specifically epitaph like but one of my favorite films for quotations is um, With Nail and I, an English film by Bruce Robinson. And uh, it's Richard E. Grant. And there's a scene where there, he's in a, a, a bed sit with his roommate and things are just bad. They're poor. Their dishes are all filthy and they're, you know, they're drunk all the time and stuff. And he says, I'm a trained actor reduced to the status of a bum. And I just think that's one of the things that... Uh, <laughs> Sometimes you just feel like saying that. Um, I hope that's not the last thing that I that I leave behind. But um. I mean, it's it's not bad. Uh, I you know I, I like I like the humility of it. I like the idea that it's like I was once this, but now I am this. You know, it's 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 recognizing the the situation with a certain amount of gallows humor. I like it. Uh, I actually years and years and years ago, like easily 15, 20 years ago, I actually read Richard E. Grant's. Look, I read with nails, but I was kind of late to the party on him as an actor. Like I didn't really 
get him until oh i want it like i i mean it may have even been can you ever forgive me like it was a long time before i really really got him but now anytime he shows up and stuff i love it yeah he was in the spice girls movie oh he's in a ton of stuff like it's it's great going back now and seeing him turn up because now i now i like chirp up when before he was just that guy for me yeah Uh, that's a great quote buddy i love it there we go that's more about james you'll learn more about him when the next time we have him on i am picking up the pace now so i'm i'm happy uh i'm thinking i'm gonna get you up to a seventh and eighth timer real quick um (laughs) you know it won't take quite as long to to go in between episodes these days um but um come on back we are going to do the new slang for episode 276 uh we're going to talk about a new film called Come on, come on, right after this. Come on, come on is directed and written by Mike Mills. It stars Joaquin Phoenix, Gabby Hoffman, Woody Norman, and Scoot McNary. And ordinarily at this time, I would introduce the film and launch into a question uh, to get the conversation started. But today we are gonna do something a little bit different. This film was one of the very, very favorites of a friend of this show and a mutual friend of James and I. So he is gonna take over the introduction and get us started. Happy New Year, James and Ryan. One of my favorite films of the old year is the film that you'll be talking about today, Mike Mills' Come On, Come On. Mike Mills' films have a history of taking small, localized stories and using them as the foundation for broader topics and themes. Primarily, he's been exploring both the strength and fragility of bonds within various families. After a five-year gap since his last film, 20th Century Woman, Mills is back with Come On, Come On, another family-centered tale of a documentary interviewer, played by Joaquin Phoenix, reconnecting after the death of his mother with his sister, played by Gabby Hoffman, and his 10-year-old nephew, Jesse, the quite remarkable Woody Norman. What starts as a short visit to the West Coast turns into an extended childcare visit and roadshow as Jesse is taken care of by his uncle across several cities while his mother looks after his old father. Filmed in black and white, Come On, Come On is part road trip, part coming-of-age story for all three main characters, and part deep dive into how children try to find their place in the world while their parents try to empathize as they play parenting improv. Interspersed within the story and these character moments are real interviews with children from the three locations that provide further and diverse experiences of children looking to the future. So pop quiz, hotshot. Did Mills' exploration of these ideas of childhood, memory, empathy, and parenting mesh well for you with its story and make you agree with Jesse's urging to come on, come on, come on? Or did you find the many themes and style of the film to fit poorly with its simple story and make you say, oh, come on? I probably it worked for me more than it didn't. I mean, I want to start by saying it's interesting that both of us are talking about a film about parenthood than when neither of us have children. Um, and I wondered, like, you know, first of all, I wondered, like, why you asked me to do this film, knowing what to do as a parent. Uh, like, I find it very hard to judge people's parenting because, you know, I'm not there. I'm not doing it. And I think that's kind of what this film is about is, is uh, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is kind of thrown into this situation where he doesn't have those skills. Um, and then the, the stuff about talking to kids, um, I think in his case, he's sort of, I don't know where the story idea came from. They never talk about like where that started, whether that was something given to him or whether he came up with it. He's a guy that's kind of stuck 
And uh, so when he's talking to kids about the future, you wonder if it's kind of him wanting to, you know, to know what he should do. It could look a little bit bolted on, you know, like to make the story a little bit more universal. But nevertheless, I kind of liked it. Um, I like that it kind of took the focus off of a group of people who might be considered kind of privileged, you know, yeah. and, um, and, and, you know, have things fairly easy, at least on a monetary level. And I really, just to be honest, liked hearing the voices of those kids. I mean, I know that they were non-professionals, you know, this was like real stuff and it sort of added a little bit of depth to the story. Um, it made the whole film feel more like a documentary to me. Uh, the performances are all very, very good and natural too, which helps. The black and white, I thought helped, uh, made it feel more documentary-like. So I guess... I guess overall it worked for me. You, you agreed with Jesse's plan of life is about, come on, come on, come on. You weren't sitting back saying, oh, come on. <laughs> I suppose if that's, those are my choices. Then, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. yeah. I, I'm not, uh, I'm not 100% sure what he's talking about when he says that. I kind of like that it feels spontaneous, you know, that yeah. he's like, it's not like he has this great wisdom or anything. He's just, he's just kind of thinking in the moment. I mean, he's a kid, right? So it's it's like sometimes a child will say something, and you're like, "Wow, that is profound!" Like that that is actually they've actually stumbled into something that's so genius that they have no idea. And there's other times where it's just complete bollocks, (laughs) you know. And this is this is mostly bollocks. Yeah. Uh, But it's but I guess what you know the whole idea of sometimes you just got to come on, come on, come on is just him saying like you don't know how to do it, but you just got to do it anyway. I'm a little bit warmer on it than you are. I, I was actually really enamored by this movie the first time watching it again for the sake of this show. Uh, I picked up on a few things that I didn't pick up on the first time. Part of the reason why I got Bob to introduce it is Bob actually kind of brought it up a few pegs when he talked about it last time on the year end show. I was really quite enamored with this movie. I didn't really expect to be it was just one that just kind of lingered just outside of my reach for most of the autumn it was kind of one of those ones that i was like oh yeah i should watch that oh yeah i should watch that and then by the time i watched it i was like this movie is is so um far more beautiful and far more um affirming um of of humanity than it has any real right to be one of the things that I want to start with is it's interesting to me that the two grown-ups that we see the most in this movie, Joaquin Phoenix and Gabby Hoffman, are two actors that we've been watching since they themselves were children. It's trippy to see them now be on the other side of that conversation when they were young. You know, like they've been in movies where they were the ones having conversations. And now we're watching them be the ones playing off the child. Um, what did you think of the, what'd you think of the grownups in this movie? Um, I love, uh, I haven't really seen much or anything I can recall with Gabby Hoffman, but uh, she was fantastic, but I've always loved Joaquin Phoenix. I think um, uh, I also want to say like, I don't, I don't know where you got the idea. I wasn't enamored of the film. I really did. Love no, no, it. no, no, not at all. I'm just saying um, I like, it's, it's really, really up there for me. It's like, yeah. if I, if I was recording the top five episode today, this probably would have made the cut. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And you um, have seen Gabby Hoffman. You just don't yeah. remember that you do. She was the little girl in Sleepless in Seattle. She was the little girl in Field of Dreams. She was oh, the little wow. girl in Uncle Buck. When I say we've been watching her a long time, I really mean it. Wow, I did not remember that. But yeah. Um, yeah. But that that adds another another dimension, doesn't it? It really it really yeah. does. Yeah. Um, I I also will say that I um I was so impressed with. Uh, Woody Norman is that his name? Yeah, you know, at, my, at first glance, it looks like a very natural performance. It looks almost like you know uh, improvisation, um, but then I found out that he's actually British, huh? And he's a kind of a veteran of British television. Wow, dramas. I did not and know that. I, yeah, I saw a really good, very short um, interview. I think on the Wrap, um, which was him and Mike Mills talking about the film and, and he's, he's incredible. He really holds his own and, and talks about like what he, what he brought to certain scenes. And, um, and then he ends it by saying like, can we just stop? And, and can I talk about my own mother? You know, uh, he said, I, I really came to appreciate like what all that she did, you know, while making this film. And, and then he says like, she's here right now. Do you mind if we, st-? he's tearing up like on camera and he says, do you mind if we stop and I go and give her a hug? Like, it's just adorable. Like he's um, it's, it struck me that he really kind of got what the film was about in a lot of ways. Like, you know, it's about the stuff that our parents do. Our mothers generally do. The, the acting is fantastic. Um, even when it doesn't look a lot like acting, I think that's one of the things that, that, Phoenix, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is good at is just making it look like kind of effortless. And I saw, I read another review that said like after, you know, the, the, the villain that he played in Joker, you know, and I'm, I didn't even see Joker. Like that's the kind of person I am. I'm not bothered. Don't do it. And, um, and, and they said, it's, it's incredible to see that he can play, you know, um, uh, good guys. And I'm like, well, I've, I've always seen him playing good guys. Yeah. I, I mean, the last villain I think I saw him play was probably in, um, uh, gladiator you know which is like 20 years ago, <laughs> 20 years ago like, now yeah he, he's very much like he was in uh in her mm-hmm. and he was in um inherent vice and like he's 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 good at playing kind of a uh not quite passive but someone who who's like just waiting for things to happen you know and uh and this was it, it's really good to see that um you know having this responsibility sort of forces him to confront a lot of a lot of things like he, he could have just kept going on and doing his job and, and not letting it really affect him. So, uh. yeah, I mean, all three of these actors are just immensely talented at what they are there to do. Joaquin and Woody are kind of given the showier parts, but I, I'll, I want to start with Hoffman because I think that she's a little bit underappreciated in what she's doing. You know, she a lot for a lot of this movie she's the she's the voice on the phone like we we watch her when she's talking to her brother in these stolen moments like that that's one of the things i love is that more often than not when uh, when viv is having these conver- phone conversations with johnny they are on the back steps or they're like in a stairwell or they're you know they're in a corridor like you can always tell that she's having these conversations when she can, because she's got a whole lot of things going on. She's obviously working. She's taking care of her ex or her partner, and she's you know worrying about her son. Every time she's talking to her brother, she's being extraordinarily frank with him mm-hmm. about the role of parenting. And I think she is saying part of the reason why I did want you here 
um, because I think this is the kind of movie where it doesn't have to be your reality for it to hit you. You know, we all know parents. We all have parents. Um, you know, a lot of us have surrogate children, whether they're nieces or nephews or, or neighbors' kids that we play a part in their upbringing. Um, you know, but there are certain things that a lot of times just remain unsaid. And in this movie, Viv articulates a lot of this stuff that has gone completely unarticulated for a very, very long time about how hard it is and how you don't always know the answers. And sometimes you just got to make it up. And sometimes they will just play on your last nerve where all you just want is five minutes. And you know, it's, it's, she is saying the quiet part loud, but she's never doing it in a way that makes you want to turn on her. You know what I mean? Like she's never saying it in an ungracious way. She's never grousing is what I, is what I, you know, like she is just being, brutally honest about how hard it can be um to somebody who may not understand how hard it can be because he's just you know he's playing the the surrogate dad um joaquin is johnny i mean yeah you're right he i'm far more used to this part of his career i'm used to seeing stuff like this where he is much more tender than he is playing a a kooky weirdo um And he, I mean, he, he went off in the wilderness for a while, but he's been doing things like this for a very long time. And what I love about his performance here is that he is never afraid to talk to Jesse as a grown-up. He doesn't condescend and he just, he's like, you know what? Um, I'm going to talk to you, whether or not you're going to understand the answer, I'm going to give you the answer, whether it's why I'm not married anymore, whether it's uh you know what it means to to feel anxious like i'm just going to give you the answer and he he's always really really tender in the way he talks to both his sister and his nephew and just you know you can tell that he 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 means well like he doesn't always come up with the right answer but he means well yeah woody norman holy crap i did not know that he was british um mm-hmm. there's yeah. always there's always this curiosity when it comes to juvenile actors, and you may know this because you, um, part of your part of your job is actually working with juvenile actors on on set. Um, you don't always understand if they are playing a part or just playing themselves. You know, like did we just let this kid run around the set and say little kid stuff, or was he coached to do something specific? and bring out something specific in himself. I think that with Woody Norman, it's the latter. And he has this way sometimes of just talking bollocks, but other times of asking some really poignant questions and quite clearly understanding the very mature answer. I'll tell you a little bit more from that interview if you want. Please, yeah. um, They asked him, uh, Mike Mills is saying like, you know, yeah, you learned your lines well, but you also um, had a little bit, you, you know, you contributed. And he says, oh, yeah, Jesse has this game where he pretends that he's an orphan. And he uh, he tells like he says, this is how me and my mom do it. You know, I say, like, uh, I'm really sorry that your that your child died. Yeah. And uh, so he's, he's doing this with with Johnny and um, and Johnny just says, I, I can't do this. Like, this is too weird, you know. And he says, um he says, why do you always have to do it like that? Why do you have to be eccentric? He says, why can't you just be normal? Yeah. And, uh, and Jesse, Jesse says, what's normal? <laughs> and apparently that was a, an, improv, an improvised line from, from uh, 
from the actor from wow. Norman. Wow. And uh, and it it's good. It really it it added to that scene. It kind of just like made Joaquin Phoenix's character just kind of go, "Oh yeah, you know, well, you're right." So I thought, yeah, that's that's a that's a sharp kid, you know. Yeah. Um, I th- I think, you know, I I mentioned it in that last section there, but I think what really enamors me to this movie is how much it wants to fixate on the relationship between grownups and children, um, not just parents and, and kids, but, but, you know, grownups and, and, and children, um, regardless of the dynamic and the way that we talk to each other, like we don't really want to tell kids the truth. We really don't, you know, especially like there's a moment in this movie where Jesse asks Johnny, why aren't you married? And mm-hmm. you know, nobody wants, like you barely want to have that conversation with another adult. You know, after after especially after a relationship that ended badly, or sometimes even if it doesn't end badly, even if it just kind of withers, like a lot of relationships do, you don't want to talk about that. You don't want to talk about that with your parents. You kind of don't want to talk about that with your friends. You choose like that two or three person inner circle. So <laughs> you certainly don't want to have that conversation with a kid, but this movie is not afraid to go there, right? To to say Sometimes you just, you, you don't stop loving them, but you just, you, you can't, you look at them and you're just confused. Like you don't know what to do. Um, well, he makes that, he makes that joke, but then he says later, you know, he's doing this thing where he's recording um, yeah. his own sort of audio diary. And he says, he says, why did I turn that into a joke? Like, because, you know, he was caught off guard yeah. by this little kid who just, wanted to know the answer to his question mm-hmm. yeah but this movie it it always it all it, it it's very very mature in that way and it wants us like you know it, it's it's crazy because we're in this age of parenting where everything is structured and documented and and there's books and guides and blogs and tips and tricks of how you can parent, right? And even at one point, like Johnny's reading <laughs> the script of how to, how to make a correction off his phone. And yeah, just, they call it a repair, a repair. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. And I mean, like, listen, like we're laughing about that because we, you know, we're, we're having this conversation, but I'm sure there's people who are listening to this show and I'm sure there's people out there who have done a repair. And it's like, even if you've got the cliff notes on how to do this, you're still not going to be able to do it well. But I, this movie is unafraid to say, you know what, they're people and we're people and they may not have the maturity to understand it, but I'm going to try. I'm just going to try giving them the straight answer and seeing how it is. I love that this movie does that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I like the, the, they let the kid be weird, you know, like, and not just the kid, like everybody's weird, but I like that they let the kid do that and, and they don't, make him feel bad for it like it's just part of who he is uh i've always liked movies uh, that that treat kids this way i when you we get to this point later i have a few other favorites that mm-hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna bring up but um it's interesting that he's an uncle mm-hmm. uh when i talk about some other films later uh i'm realizing that you couldn't make a film like this if he was not related to the kid I'm going to challenge that later, but I say, okay, okay, go on. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I just think like there is this, there is this fear of strangers now that we've inculcated into children. uh, But the thing is your family can be just as dangerous or is just as strange uh, and, and can be just as unpredictable. Uh, You don't get the feeling that, that these two had spent that much time together. No. Um, 
I think there's a scene at the beginning where um, his sister, is it Viv? Is that her character's name? Here's uh, Johnny's voice on the radio, like, cause he's a journalist and he's a radio journalist and she recognizes his voice, but, but Jesse doesn't recognize him. He doesn't obviously hasn't spent that much time with him or seen him that much. So, yeah, I think it's just interesting when you have people that haven't, they don't know each other and like, how do you get to know each other? Like what kids like to do stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and I like the part where he would, he was teaching him a little bit about his job and letting him put the, the, the sound equipment on, you know, the headphones and let him record sound and stuff like that. I yeah. Thought that was the, yeah. What I, I think what I like about that is a couple things. First of all, you're right. Like when he first knocks on the door, like, Jesse doesn't recognize him. Viv has to like do the, the, the grown up thing of whispering in his ear, like say hi, you know, like yeah. has, has to do that part that, that ups have to do to kids to kind of urge them to be polite, even though they're obviously nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing that I like about that is it allows that barrier to drop because uh, all of that, good stuff that I was talking about before about how parent the, the you know Johnny talks to Jesse as a grown up if if it was his kid they wouldn't do that you know like like fathers don't talk to their sons that way not never 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 do they talk to their sons that way it's always that that one thing removed whether it's a cousin or an uncle or a neighbor or a teacher like you can't have that much investment and talk to them that way um but it's funny because sometimes if there's absolutely nothing, then that can be an, a whole other problem. I remember when I was reading Elton John's book, he talks about how his father left when he was so small and they tried to rekindle their relationship when they were adults, but there was nothing there. Like, right. Like there were, mm-hmm. there were no, like anytime things just kind of got awkward, there were none of those memories and bonds that were keeping them together. So you, you know, you've got Johnny in this sweet spot where he's a little bit foreign to Jesse, but at the same time, he's not so foreign that Jesse's going to feel no attachment. Um, yeah, no, that, that's, that, that's a, that's a really, really um, good point. I'm curious though, you know, we've got Mike Mills, who, as a director, this is his fourth feature. Fourth. Um, yeah. He did Thumbsucker, Beginners, 20th Century Women, and then this. He often actually takes long breaks in between. He's not exactly what I'd call prolific. Um, his films, sometimes they can get a little arty. Did you find that this film was ever either too arty or too subtle? Like, is the does the black and white work? Do the There's a lot of times where we take these digressions into um, – other people's words like we take this digression into the wizard of oz we take this digression into um the moon child did that did all of that work for you or did you think that that was a crutch um it worked for me i i found this not i didn't find this too arty i would say i think the black and white uh had the opposite effect like it made it more like a documentary to me it made it made a little a little bit flatter a little bit less pretty (laughs) um so I found it pretty for, for him. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't call him super arty. Um, He's not super that, arty, but he, he does sometimes get a little twee. Like when I, when I, when we went from beginners into 20th century women and he yeah. was pulling the same sort of style of introduction and taking these digressions into 
the world and the president and this is yeah. what the headline looked like. He did that again with 20th century women. I'm like, okay, this is going to be your thing. This is going to be a very short relationship, but he's, well, he's, you know, he's married to Miranda July. So, I mean, <laughs> so, in that relationship, he is like the least, he's the, the lesser of two <laughs> weevils. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> That just came out. That's funny. Yeah. That's, that's, he's, like, he's, he's the least. Night, everybody. Of, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess he can't help it, you know, in some ways. But I, I love um, I love that he is uh, sensitive, you know, that his films are 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 very um, hard on the sleeve sort of films. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he said the Beginners was about his own father. Uh, 20th Century Woman was about his own mother. This film uh, was inspired by the fact that, that he's now a parent. Uh, and that, uh, you know, some of his friends are parents. And so like, he's, he's working with the material that's like coming out of his life, which, um, you know, that's not, um, that's not too arty really. That's kind of, it's almost like a documentary filmmaker. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I like, um, some people would say, in fact, I, I saw one review that really didn't like the film because it said that, you know, it used those other interviews to kind of add some depth just to a, you know, a a story of a privileged white dude. Right. But I'm thinking, well, he's, he's a dude that's a white dude who's privileged. So, I mean, you're either going to get in trouble for telling a story that's not yours, or you're going to get in trouble for telling a story that is yours, but that people have seen before. So I think you just have to do what, um, what feels honest. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I felt like the film was, was actually subtle enough. It's, it's crazy because, you know, the, the voice that introduced this, this clip, uh, Bob Turnbull, he and I were talking about Belfast uh, two months ago. And that is a movie where the black and white does nothing. The black and white adds absolutely zero. Could have been a color film. And it's just they've shot it in black and white for reasons. This is a film where the black and white is actually handled extraordinarily well this is a person who knows their way around black and white and you're right it gives it more of a documentary feel you know what it does it makes it feel more like a memory is what it does this is a lot of this film plays a lot on memory whether it's viv uh remembering why she was in that relationship with her partner who's played by scoot mcnary who i mean scoot mcnary is in this movie for probably a combined four minutes and Mm -hmm. he's never actually given a full space at the microphone like somebody's always talking over him um but what he does with his time is actually really really affecting or whether it's them talking about the death of their mother and losing their mother to dementia and what that was like. Um, All of the black and white brings up the very, um, you know, recollection of that kind of thing. And it's not an arty trick. It's not the lesser of two tweevils, as as you say, (laughs) Um, you know, same thing with, with just the whole overall, you know, attitude of these two guys who like to wander around and capture sounds. I didn't think that that was something that was dropped in there in a very Max Fisher way of having, you know, a really weird hobby. I thought that was something that this is something this one guy does. He's, he's, his whole life is audio. And uh, we, you know, there are people, there's a lot of people out there like that, um, whether their life is photo or video or audio like there's a lot of people who just want to capture the world as it is and this kid found it interesting and we know children who find these 
odd little things interesting that are not necessarily kids things. So I don't, uh, you know, I think it, it really, really rides along the line. If it, if it had gone just a little bit further, it may gone, it may have gone too arty. Um, some of Mike Mills films have gone very, very arty, but I think this film stays inside the neutral zone long enough that, that it, that it ends up working. Um, I, the black and white, it, uh, there's something I'll mention later on when I talk about other films, mm-hmm. I'll make another reference to it, but I think the black and white might be a bit of a, an homage or something to a, another film that I'll mention later, but it might not be like, I haven't seen it mentioned in anything that I've read so far, but I mean, you know, I'm a sucker for black and white movies. I'm a sucker for black and white photography. So anytime the film decides to go into that pool, I'm paying a little bit more attention. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, like, it's funny because it can be one of those things of, well, how do we, you, you know, it's, we're in an Instagram culture these days. And it's like, how do I make this picture look better? Well, throw this filter on it. You know, how do I make my film more, look more serious? Or how do I make my film look more profound? Like, let's present it in black and white. Because that will automatically make it look more you know, a little bit more serious. I don't think that that's the trick. I think that that was a deliberate choice that it plays on memory. Uh, and that, and that a lot of people's memory, um, it still, even though that we are well into the year, the, the, the age of color documentation, people's memories tend to be for some reason in black and white. Um, this is a film. I think this is what I love about it the most this is a film that wants us to be okay with feeling um, whether it's Jesse and him working through his anxiety or his comfort or his understanding of the world. Certainly when it comes to the grownups and how unsure they are, this is a film that wants us to know that it's okay to feel shit. And I think that that is a really, really profound statement for a film to make. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess to come back to what you were asking me earlier about the, the on-screen, you know, the, the quotations, the yeah. voiceover quotations with the, um, I kind of liked it. Maybe I'm just a nerd, but I kind of like it sort of like, it's a bit like footnotes, you know, it's yeah. like, these are things that obviously went into the writing of the film. And um, maybe people would say like, oh, you shouldn't just show all that raw material, but I felt like it, it helped, you know? Definitely the the stuff from uh, I think it's Star Child is the book by mm-hmm. Claire Nivola. I looked it up because I was like that that whole scene uh, was was so moving. Like when you know like there's just talking about how this kid has to enter the the human world and and be part of time and and it, it was it was quite moving when you're thinking about this little this little person you know. Can I tell when you my biggest disappointment this week was learning that that book is out of print. I actually, I wanted, I wanted to get myself a copy. Oh my God, is it out of print? You, if you can find, if anybody can find a copy of that book, I mean, first of all, if you can find an extra copy, I'll take it. But if anybody can find a copy of that book, snatch it up because it is hella hard to find in English right now. Yeah. Well, I hope it will make a comeback. Maybe the film will. Yeah, maybe. There's a moment where Johnny, they're, they're kind of doing this thing where they are yelling their feelings. They're doing that primal scream way of, really getting, you know, their inner anxieties out. And, Mm. um, you know, he says, um, I feel fucked up and that's okay. And the fact that that's okay is fucked up. Um, you know, I, I love that it's, it understands that kids 
sometimes may feel off or they may feel sad or they may feel nervous and it's all right to let them process that those feelings i think you know this is me bringing some of my own baggage to my own show but when yeah. i when i was younger i was taught over and over don't be so sensitive i don't know if it's because mm-hmm. i was a boy or what but yeah. it was it was don't be so sensitive don't let things get to you and it's like no 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 this is a movie that's that wants to say in a very clear voice let things get to you you will be better off if you let these things in let them run their course because you are gonna need the tools to deal with it when shit really comes at you later in life yeah i love the part where um well, I don't know if I don't know if you're how you feel about spoilers. Like I don't the think this is a film you can spoil, to be entirely no, honest. But the issues with his father, um, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the boy's father is, is having a like a mental health crisis. Yeah, and and the kid is is scared not just because he doesn't know if he's going to get his dad back, but he's worried about it happening to him. Yeah, and I thought that was so well handled. You know, like at at a certain point, he doesn't come out with that right away, but after being with um, Johnny for for quite a while he 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 says it to him he says like am i gonna is that gonna happen to me and i think like that's kids are they know what's going on they they're they're thinking all the time you know they observe and they you know they make connections and they try to figure things out and uh, i thought it was so good to have him just say that and i can't remember what johnny says i think i don't know if he says i don't know but it's just nice to be able to have that out in the open yeah he he wouldn't have given him a concrete answer. Like it would have been either an, I don't know, or, you know, well, you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to wait and see. And if you, and if that's what happens, that's what happens and you'll get through it and you'll do your thing. But that, you know, that's another one that comes right down with, um, you know, all of them, everybody in this, everybody in this movie, whether it's Viv or Johnny or Jesse saying, it is okay to feel this shit and it is okay to not feel yourself. Um, because you will be a better person for having these ups and downs and, and anger and joy. Like you can't just put it in a box and you can't just only talk about it to like, you know, your shrink or, or whatever you need to actually let it in and let it run its course. Cause otherwise you're just gonna, you know, you're, you're, you're not, you're not going to be prepared when you have to process this stuff in this film it doesn't go over the top in a very self-help kind of way. It just, it just wants to basically just put its hand on your hand and say, just, it's okay. This isn't a film that I was going to link to this, but I just thought of the film um, where the wild things are. Did you yeah, ever see it? Yeah. yeah. I hadn't I thought, thought about of that, that right one. away because, yeah. Cause I thought like, here's another thing where there, a kid is acting out and, you know, dealing with some stuff and, uh, and it's just a filmmaker that's gonna like, gonna sit with them and like figure that out. You know, I thought it was really, really nice. So the, yeah. these those two filmmakers, I think, are fairly simpatico. I think Spike Jones and and Mike Mills. I think they uh, they probably know. I think they must know each other. Probably, <laughs> sure. But I mean, this yeah. is. I mean, this is also. This is why I wanted to talk to you about this movie is because it, it is one thing for a parent to say, and this is where Bob came to it from when he was saying like about how he was remembering conversations that he'd had with his son, his son, who was also now, uh, you know, a, a young filmmaker himself. Um, but yeah. you know how he'd had these conversations with, with his son. And, and this is what this movie made him think about is I really, really do believe that the best movies put you into the place of these people and these conversations. Like 
I obviously I can't be exactly where Bob was, but I can at least like you know if I tilt my head and squint, I can I can understand it. The empathy certainly comes through me when it comes to how do you deal with children and how do you deal with these questions for children and how do you deal with these feelings, you know, certainly when they're talking about everything to do with their parents. Um, like there's a question later, uh, like I, I think the one thing that we can both, you know, attest to is their conversation between Johnny and Viv begins with them um, talking about the right way to mourn. You know, like Johnny is like, well, I thought if I don't do anything with this day, then I was wasting it. But if I do too much with this day, then I'm disrespecting it. And it's, it's you know, it's another one of those things that we're not taught. You know, that's yeah. just how how to mourn. I was I was actually at a, a concert back when I felt comfortable doing that thing. I was at a concert by Feist. And one of the spoken word uh, interludes that she talks about um when she talks about like losing her mother during the pandemic is she says, I wish I knew how to mourn better. And Mm -hmm. I think that that was what Johnny was talking about off the beginning of this film is I wish I knew how to mourn because we're not taught and we don't understand. And we have all these questions because nobody talked to us about this shit when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. That's, that's huge. Um, And I guess if you have kids, then that's another level where you're like, what do I teach them about it? You know? Um, they're experiencing it, I guess. In this case, um, you know, uh, Jesse lost his his grandmother, but you don't really know much about how he felt about that. Yeah, or, there's a lot. I like the the sibling relationship there that they had to repair as well. Yeah. But there was, I don't have siblings, but I could see that you know, just knowing that your parent feels differently toward each of you, you know, and knowing that, and then having to sort of deal with. The fact that that person's now gone, you can't change any of that. That that can be hard. Yeah, know? yeah. No, I and I love that this is all in a very nice, neat little one hundred minute package. Um, it, you know, it, it's a film that snuck up on me. It's a film that I really hope a lot of people find. Um, it's 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 out there on demand. Uh, anybody can watch it with a click of a few buttons, and I really hope they do. We end every uh, matinee cast here with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. James McNally, um, come on, come on. What would be your souvenir? Well, I like like you, I want to track down uh, a copy of Star Child. Mm. Uh, I think the author's name is Claire Nivula, mm-hmm. and uh, I was looking around. I, I didn't try to buy it yet, but I was looking for maybe some quotes from it, and uh, so that might be all we can get for now, but I'd love to get a, a copy of that book. I do know that where ebooks are concerned, it is quite readily available. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I obviously, yeah. you know, I want the hard copy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, if, you're, if, if anybody's looking for a hard copy of, uh, of that book, uh, power to you. <laughs> but um, I, I do know that if you are looking for an ebook copy of it, it is quite um, readily available. Uh I, uh, and yeah, and I do want a copy of it. So good work. Um, the other thing, the one thing I do want my souvenir is I want to listen to some of those soundscapes that Jesse is capturing when he's wandering around with his microphone or his headphones, whether yeah. it's the beach or that, that skate park or the street, the streetscape, those, those kind of fascinate me. I do have a few of those of my own. Like I've got things from, from when I've traveled, I've got things like um, I've got the doors at Alcatraz slamming shut uh you know i've got got the quiet of the new york public library i do love those i do find that they're a really interesting little way of documenting uh the world that uh that that 
people don't do as often. And I would love to sit there and listen to them. I love that, uh, you know, that Johnny listens back to a lot of the audio recordings that Jesse does. And you can see him smiling with, with what he captured. Um, <laughs> we rate here on a scale of one to four stars on the matinee cast, James McNally, what would you give Mike Mills? Come on, come on. Uh, I'd give it a solid three and a half out of four. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, this is a four for me. It, it wasn't on first watch, uh, which I think, you know, maybe that's a cheat on, on first watch. I'd be with you three and a half really and truly. The more I listen to Bob, talk about it and the more i watched it again um it, that that last little hop got there and this is this is a film that i'm going to come back to quite a bit um hey maybe you think that we're crazy maybe you think that this film is you know not the lesser of two tweevils maybe you think it's a masterpiece and we're not being uh, effusive enough let me know ryan at the matinee.ca twitter where i am matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee what do you think of mike mills come on come on we are going to take a very quick break and come back right after this to talk about some more movies so come up We're back. He's James McNally. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's Matt Nacast 276. It's the other side. It's the time where we flip the record over. We go further down the spiral. We talk about other movies uh, that go along with the feature presentation. This episode, we've been talking about Come On, Come On. Um, we've already touched on a few of these, uh, but there's always lots to talk about. Uh, James, why don't you get us started? What was a film that you thought about going on to after Mike Mills' latest movie? Well, there's a film that I hadn't seen before, but I, I knew what it was about. Okay. And it's um, it's Vim Vender's film, Alice in the Cities, which came out in 1974. And I just watched it today, actually. <laughs> um, and it's so, uh, I think that the black and white might just be a, an homage to this film. It's, uh, it's a story about a, a German um, journalist. He's, he's in the U.S. trying to write a story. Um, and all he can do is take photos. He hasn't written a thing. Um, he's sort of stuck. And then randomly in New York, he runs into this German, other German woman and her daughter who's nine years old and uh, her name's Alice and uh, ends up being kind of left with Alice. Um, her mother disappears and, and he has to sort of take this kid back to Germany and try and find her grandmother. And it's kind of a road movie, you know, it's in different cities and it's the same sort of thing about a, a character, uh, the adult is a little bit stuck and a little bit uh, unsure of what he's doing in his life. And, uh, and just this interaction and this responsibility with the kid really seems to make a change for, for both of them. And it's another film where it just treats the kid as a, a real person, you know, with, with real, uh, you know, real ideas and opinions. Well, uh, Vim Vendors is an interesting person to talk about because he's another one of those filmmakers who like i don't want to say he's gone out of fashion um but i think him as a brand has very much changed in in the new century like don't get me wrong he has done stuff recently that i think is fantastic and if anybody listening to this has never seen his documentary pina by the love of God, stop this show now and go watch it because it is absolutely stunning. Um, but, you know, he one time was one of those guys, right? Like when you go back to stuff, certainly when you go back to stuff like 
uh, Wings of Desire and Buena Vista Social Club and everything that he did, like, you know, coming out of Germany in, in the in the 70s and 80s. Um, he was one of those guys. Lately, it's been a lot less of a, of a brand name to the point where, you know, a lot of people now would be like, who? Thank you, by the way, because this film is on the Criterion channel, which has been a lot of where I go to find films lately uh, when I am watching them. So I, uh, I can watch this. I've never seen it before. It's, it's totally worth it. It's um, what I liked about it too, is that, you know, it's made in the seventies. So it's quite a bit different than come on, come on. Uh, parenting is different. The way yeah. that the adults treat kids is different. Uh, there's a lot less, um, you know, trying to understand and empathize. There's a scene where Alice is crying and, and the character just says, stop crying. Like, he's yeah. just, you know, uh, but yet there's still the same kind of connection uh, that develops. And there's the same, you know, there's the same idea that they're learning from each other. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if Mike Mills has seen this and, and, and enjoyed it and is using a little bit of it. Uh, I will definitely look that up. Thank you for that recommendation. Um, I think the first movie that I wanted to bring up um, that, you know, when you were talking about how you have to be related to a kid to talk to them that way. And I said, I think I've got one that that shows you don't necessarily. Um, And I rewatched it recently for the first time in quite a long time. Going back to 2002, um, a movie uh, based on a book written by Nick Hornby. When's the last time you watched About a Boy? Uh, I just, my wife was talking to me about that today. I haven't seen it for a long time, but it's, yeah, definitely another film about, you know, a kind of a random adult child relationship connection, you know, um, it's fantastic. It's a lot more of a comedy, I think. It is, but it's the kind of, it's a really smart comedy. It's the kind of comedy yeah. that really makes you understand that romantic comedies can be like, there's not a high level of romance. It's more of a comedy drama um, that yeah. these things can be uh, really, really well done. Um, it's, it's, it's funny because it comes from the White brothers who up until that point were probably most well known for American pie. And this right. showed yeah. that they actually can do a lot more. And it's about this kid, this really super duper awkward kid who's being raised by a hippie. He doesn't know how to dress. He doesn't know how to present himself. He is like the quintessential ugly duckling. And through a weird series of events, he finds himself in the orbit of this bachelor who does nothing, who is just living (laughs) off residuals and doing nothing with his time. And they form this bond they form this weird relationship where it's kind of a guardianship it's in a lot of ways it doesn't work but in a lot of ways it does the kid is played by nicholas holt who people these days would probably know most from the great um but he was also in stuff like the he was in the x-men movies um he was in he was really really great in a movie called the single man 12 years ago now i guess 13 years ago time flies um and that's a movie where you look at this grown-up talk to this kid and want to be a guardian and want to be uh, you know provide tutelage to him but in some ways do it really well and other times you know screw it up really badly um so we just lost peter bogdanovich a few days ago um and his film paper moon from 1973 is uh have you seen it you know i haven't and i've meant to watch that forever yeah it's so good and you know the funny part in the film is that um 
you know, the adult is Ryan O'Neill and his daughter Tatum O'Neill, his real life daughter plays the kid. Yeah. And in, in the film, you're not sure. Like, I don't think they're uh, father and daughter. I think there's some kind of like attempt to name him as the father, but you don't really think that it's, it's true. Um, but it's just, it's hysterically funny and very sweet. And, uh, and it's in black and white and actually Alice in the cities is in black and white. It seems like you have to do this in black and white, obviously. But, um, but one of the best scenes, like I will just, I won't spoil it, but go on YouTube, look up Madeline Kahn monologue, paper moon. It's like <laughs> two minutes long. And it's one of the funniest things that I've ever, I love her. And, uh, I mean, it's better if you've seen the film, like to see it in the context, but, um, it's just one of the funniest things I've ever, I've ever seen. I mean, you've got me just Madeline Kahn, anything, right? Of course, like yeah. she's, she's most, she's, I, th- I think she's most known these days for the flames, flames, uh, <laughs> bit of clue. Um, I, I love her. For, <laughs> I, Blazing Saddles. Yeah. As well. yeah, I was going to say, I love her, her song in Blazing Saddles that yeah. just starts, I'm tired. I'm tired of being admired. I'm um, so tired. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I haven't seen Paper Moon. I feel that that is an absolute travesty. It's one of those yeah. movies that I really should have seen by now. Well, um, do it for, do it for Peter. I should. And, and that's the thing, yeah. like I, Bogdanovich, um, he had that amazing podcast series on TCM uh, last year. It was one of those things that really got me through a uh, pandemic was listening to him talking to um, Mankiewicz about like his career and all of his stories and all of his experiences. He's a, that is a man who has lived like that mm-hmm. man. He has all the stories and it's yeah. crazy because he is another one of those guys who as a filmmaker, as a brand, his brand became lessened as time went on, right? Like the last, Oh, he had a good run and then he had a terrible run. So yeah, but definitely paper moon is in the, in the good run. Thank you for the reminder. I'm definitely going to track it down. Watch it for Peter. I'm going to bring up one that's a little bit lesser known that um, this movie really reminded me of for obvious reasons. And it goes back to, um, it goes back to hot docs from a few years ago, back when I think I first got to going to hot docs and, um, this was around the time that we became friends and you kind of nudged me towards going and doing it proper uh, because you're like, you know, like be, be a little bit more assertive. You're, you're doing this legit. You're not just doing this as a hobby, go and do this um, and talk to some of these filmmakers. Um, So in 2010 at hot docs, there was a documentary called sound tracker. Did you happen to see this one? No. So this is, it's directed by a guy named Nick Sherman. Um, it's about this dude named Gordon Hempton who does what um, Jesse is so fascinated with in this movie. He wanders around just capturing the soundscapes and he is most interested in natural soundscapes. He's most interested in wandering off into the forest and being able to capture the sound of a stream or the sound of a blue jay or that kind of thing. The only mm. exception. The, the man-made sound that he loves the most are trains. So when a train <laughs> is coming by, he lights up like a kid on Christmas. And it's, it's just beautiful to see. First of all, it's beautiful to see somebody just so into this because it's a hobby that you wouldn't think is a thing, but of course it very much is a thing. And the other thing that's really wild to, to watch him do this and, and see it all unfold is he, um, he has increasing amounts of trouble 
finding spaces in America that are unencumbered by man-made sound. Like he oh, he yeah. has increasing amounts of trouble finding like, you know, one square mile of forest that planes don't fly over as a, for instance. And, and yeah. it's hard because he's like, you can't just go out into the wilderness and just be, you're hearing trucks or you're hearing trains or you're hearing planes or you're hearing people. It's a, it's a great little film. It's kind of hard to track down. It, it sounds amazing of course, because they put a lot of uh, emphasis into the sound design. Actually the sound designer is like the first credit that comes up, but it was a great documentary. Um, he reminded me a lot of Jesse wandering around with his mic. Did you have any others uh, that, that you thought went along with? Uh, come on, come One on. more. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not quite as directly related, but it's, um, it's uh, Francois Truffaut's film, uh, small change, which, uh, I think in England, they call it pocket money, but it's, um, it's from 1976 and it's just, it's, it's kind of episodic. It's just a film about a, a, a group of kids in this town. And, uh, but what's nice about it is it kind of just, just tells the whole story from the perspective of the kids. It's not like a little rascals thing kind of thing, but it's, um, it's just these little episodes. Some of the kids have it pretty well and some of them have it pretty bad um but it just it stays with the kids and um and there's just like there's one particular set piece that's so funny it's a kid who gets left behind uh in this apartment it's like it's like a a apartment complex it's like four floors and you can look across and see other apartments and uh and she complains that she her parents have gone to a restaurant without her and locked her at home and she's hungry and so like all the other kids rig up this elaborate pulley system and uh and they send her over all this food in a picnic basket. And so it's very funny, but like, it's just, it's a very playful film. It's kind of told from kids' perspectives. And and I think, you know, the idea is that, you know, we need to listen to, to kids, like kids have things to say. And um, they're not just, you know, they're not just like little adults that are waiting to, to enter the workforce and stuff. They're, they're, they're little people. So um, again, all these movies that I've that I've referred to are all from the seventies, but you know, that that's, was you know what, that, that's going. totally cool because I kind of feel like it's, it's funny because when I do the research for these episodes and I do something like I drop into Google parent child movie, the, the internet is very uh, modern centric. Like you've tried finding essays and lists and pieces of films before 1985 and just good night and good luck. To you, my friend, Um, you know, like that's the thing, like as soon as you bring up something like Paper Moon or you bring up something like Small Change, like these are obvious connections, but these are not the kinds of things that people necessarily think of when they think of parent child movies. They will think more about about a boy or certainly coming away from this movie. They'll think about something like her when you watch Joaquin Phoenix walking along the beach in California being all sullen, you know, you'll think about, mm-hmm. you'll think about going back to her. Um, yeah. You know, these are the kinds of movies that I do want to bring up and get people to chase if they can find them. It's not, it's not in a, you know, things were better back then kind of way. It's you're, you're running the risk of them being lost to time where they were once adjectives. They're now, you know, wait, tell me more about that. So I love that mm-hmm. you actually brought up a lot of seventies movies. Um, the other seventies movie that I was going to bring up, I don't want to talk about it too, too much because it's a little fuzzy in my brain, but I just do remember the core uh, element of the adult and child at its center um, being so wonderfully portrayed is uh, Kramer versus Kramer. Oh yeah. You know, I never saw it. It's, it, it's, it's really quite something because you're watching, 
Um, you know, you're watching Dustin Hoffman playing off uh, the juvenile actor in this case. It's the best picture winner. You know, but people now, like, I, I bet you, you'd probably have a hard time finding like five people who have seen it under the age mm-hmm. of 40, right? It's, it's another story where the father and the child are thrust into a weird situation because the, um, the, the, the mother, played by Meryl Streep, um, back in the 70s, where it was a kind of a different vintage of Streep than everybody's used to seeing now, um, she, um, she, couldn't, she couldn't take the situation anymore. Like She couldn't take the marriage or motherhood, and she splits. And it was really radical for the time, you know, like that, that was first of all, just like a mother walking out just was not something and still is something that people would be really taken aback. And, and so watching the, the father child relationship in this movie and then watching the kind of push pull between the two parents, it's a really fascinating movie that again, I think it's one of those ones like small change and like Alice is, you know, kind of getting a little bit further back on the shelves and people should probably Mm. wipe off and give it a look sounds good there we go well that is episode 276 of the matinee cast i am so thankful that james mcnally was able to come by um please come back on january 31st for episode 277 we are going to talk about maggie gyllenhaal's new movie the lost daughter um which is on netflix now so if people want to watch that and do some homework ahead of the podcast it's uh it's right there it's in your device it's on your tv it's on your laptop it's on your tablet My thanks as well to Bob Turnbull for his contribution to this episode. Uh, Thanks, buddy. I dropped that one into your lap last minute, and you couldn't have done a better job. James is, as I said, the the head cheese over at Shorts Not Pants. Uh, It's about to celebrate its uh, 11th year um, on the go. When is the next series, sir? Uh, so the festival will happen again in November this year. Yep. Um, if you're a filmmaker or if you know a filmmaker, our submissions open on February 1st. And we'd love to see any film under 20 minutes that, you, that you've got for us. Really shorts, not pants. We're not talking about like 45 minutes. No. You know, no, shorts, short, emphasis on the word short. Um, yeah. If people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Uh, oh, boy, so many places. Jay McNally. Uh, is my personal account and shorts not pants is the festival account have you yet created a dedicated channel for your for the dj work uh dedicated channel either like a dedicated twitter feed or a dedicated something where people can tune in to dj old nerdy bastard because (laughs) you Um, choose some fabulous music my friend thank you um mixcloud is uh, is where i'm at mixcloud.com and just look up dj old nerdy bastard there will be a link for that yeah there will be a link for that in the show notes uh another thing that got me through pandemic thank you for that oh thank you thank you so much my site is of course thematinee.ca for more audio content you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting you can also find them on spotify stitcher apple google pocket casts tune in radio public Castbox, and Podchaser. i'm adding new places all the time if there's one that you know of that my show is not on let me know i'll put it there all of them give you handy ways to get alerts when new episodes drop and of course you can subscribe for free feedback on come on come on or any of the other movies that we talked about today can be left in the comments section of the site you can email ryan at the matinee.ca on twitter i am matinee underscore ca and there's always facebook facebook.com slash dark matinee mr mcnally any final thoughts uh come on come on <laughs> come on come on come on come on for james yeah. i'm ryan we'll see you at the matinee